0: It is unusual insofar as we're back on a location that we have already been in. We're here on Sandy Mount Strand again. Only when Stephen was on it, it was early morning, in around ten, half ten when he was there. Now it's between eight and half eight. It's quite close to Newbridge Avenue, of course where the funeral of Patty Dignam started from. So we know that this is where Bloom was heading when we last saw him at the end of the Barney Kiernan episode going off on the car with Cunningham Power and Crofton to sort out the insurance difficulties of Mrs. Dignam. All of that, I take it, has been done and Mr. Bloom has gone into the intricacies of the insurance policy and now he has come to rest on the beach. And also on the beach we find Gertie McDowell Sissy Caffrey, Eddie Boardman, three young girls, maybe 20 or so. There's also Sissy Caffrey's two young brothers, and then Baby Boardman, who would be Edie Boardman's brother or sister, we're not sure.
1: The three girlfriends were seated on the rocks, enjoying the evening scene in the air which was fresh but not too chilly. Many a time enough they were wont to come there to that favourite nook to have a cosy chat beside the sparkling waves and discuss matters feminine. Sissy Caffrey and Edie Boardman with the baby in the push car and Tommy and Jackie Caffrey, two little curly-headed boys dressed in sailor suits with caps to match and the name HMS Belle Isle printed on both. For Tommy and Jackie Caffrey were twins, scarce four years old and very noisy and spoilt twins sometimes, but for all that... Darling little fellows with bright merry faces and endearing ways about them.
0: And in the background there's a temperance retreat going on in the Star of the Sea Church and it can be heard from the beach.
1: And then there came out upon the air the sound of voices and the pealing anthem of the organ. It was the men's temperance retreat conducted by the mission of the Reverend John Hughes S.J. Rosary, Sermon and Benediction of the Most Blessed Sacrament.
0: Now, today, you couldn't possibly hear anything going on in the church, as people say, oh, Joyce cheated in this thing. But, of course, he didn't. In 1904, the shoreline was different. Then the beach was very near the back of the church, and it was possible to hear what was going on. Not that it matters, but uh, since we're here, and since we have the church behind us, it's worth mentioning anyway. Gertie, as far as we can gather, is rather beautiful, slight, slim, young girl who, it appears, thinks she has a boyfriend called Reggie Wiley, who's the brother of the cyclist we heard of in the Trinity College races. But unfortunately now Reggie's father is keeping him in because he's working for his intermediate certificate. This means that Reggie would be about 16, so we don't know how serious the romance is. Gertie's dresses described in detail in a very woman's magazine sort of way.
1: A neat blouse of electric blue self-tinted by dolly dyes because it was expected in the ladies pictorial that electric blue would be worn with a smart V opening down to the division and kerchief pocket in which she always kept a piece of cotton wool scented with her favourite perfume because the handkerchief spoilt the sit and a navy 3 quarters skirt cut the stride showed off her slim graceful figure to perfection
0: she herself has doubts about reggie as a suitor and thinks that maybe she'd prefer someone far more mature then she pictures herself married as a homemaker one of the things that's surprising <laughs> when we we read about of what she's going to do at the home is that she's going to have a photograph of grandpa giltrap's lovely dog carry on and this is the terrifying thing that we think that the citizen had with them in Barney Kiernan's and someone thought should be muzzled.
1: And they would have a beautifully appointed drawing room with pictures and engravings and the photograph of Grandpapa Giltrap's lovely dog, Gary Owen, that almost talked it was so human.
0: Now, the connection between the citizen, the dog, and Grandpa Giltrap and all the rest, we don't know. Sissy Caffrey is... Quite outspoken in her ways, and is capable of embarrassing Gertie when she speaks in the hearing of a stranger who's sitting nearby of the baby's B O T Um, and it's loudly enough for the stranger to hear.
1: Gertie MacDowell bent down her head and crimsoned at the idea of Sissy saying an unladylike thing like that out loud, she'd be ashamed of her life to say. Flushing a deep rosy red, Annie De Boardman said she was sure the gentleman opposite heard what she said. But not a pincared, sis. Let him, she said with a pert toss of her head and a pecan tilt of her nose. Give it to him, too, on the same place, as quick as I'd look at him.
0: All the time the temperance retreat is going on in the church, and we hear of Gertie's, she thinks of her father's alcoholisms and what it's like at home. It's not very good. And the litany is going on in the background. Again... In 1922, anyone in Dublin would have been able to recite the litany and would have known exactly what a temperance retreat was. It was trying to get men, particularly, to drink less, and it was a series of meetings during the week from Monday to Friday when you'd have a rosary sermon and benediction every evening, and then mass and communion on Sunday morning, and this was Thursday in that series of events. The young boys are kicking a ball around. Bloom takes it up, throws it back, and it lands at Gertie's feet, who tries to kick it and is very embarrassed when she doesn't. She's getting fed up with the baby crying and feels that the stranger, who later turns out to be Bloom, is looking at her, and she, in turn, is fascinated by him. He's so foreign-looking and he's so sad-looking.
1: Till then, they had only exchanged glances of the most casual... But now, under the brim of her new hat, she ventured a look at him. And the face that met her gaze there in the twilight, worn and strangely drawn, seemed to her the saddest she had ever seen.
0: Sissy assembles the children and seems to know that Loom is looking at Gertie. We don't know. But Gertie then takes off her hat seemingly to rearrange it but really to show her fine brown hair to Bloom uh, and arranges her hat so that she can look under the brim at Bloom without she thinks being seen. Uh, But Edie Boardman is a cute little girl and she notices what's going on and goes over rather brazenly and asks Bloom what the time is. Bloom takes uh, out his watch and of course it has stopped and strangely enough it has stopped at half past four which is in you know, around the time Boylan arrived at his house to see Molly. The Tantum Ergo, which is part of benediction, is being sung in the church, and Gertie swings her leg in time, either to that or to the censer which is being used in benediction.
1: And the choir began to sing Tantum and she just swung her foot in and out in time as the music rose and fell to the...
0: Sissy and Eddie get ready to leave, and Edie makes a rather cutting remark to Gertie about her broken romance.
1: Was she heartbroken about her best boy throwing her over? Gertie went sharply. A brief cold blaze shone from her eyes that spoke volumes of scorn immeasurable.
0: Then the fireworks start... And all but Gertie and Bloom go down further down the strand to get a better view. But Gertie stays where she is. And as the rockets go up, the Roman candle, she leans back, ostensibly to get a better view of them, just lying back. But really to reveal her underwear to Bloom, who masturbates while he's looking at her.
1: And she leaned back ever so far to see the fireworks and something queer was flying about through the air, a soft thing to and fro dark. And she saw a long Roman candle going up over the trees, up, up. And in the tense hush, they were all breathless with excitement as it went higher and higher.
0: Gertie knows what's going on, we know that. The girls further down the beach called to her and Gertrude takes out a, a cotton wad which has been soaked with cheap scent and waves it to them, knowing that the scent will blow over to Bloom. And as she walks off to join the other girls, Bloom gets what Stephen would call a jen bite of inwit, a sort of pang of conscience, because he suddenly realizes that she's lame.
1: She walked with a certain quiet dignity, characteristic of her, but with care. And very slowly, because Gertie McDowell was... Tight boots. No, she's lame. Oh. Mr. Bloom watched her as she limped away.
0: Bloom begins to think of her now that he's alone, and guesses that she is near her period, so she's odd. he thinks, in her behaviour. The fact that she sold her hair to him reminds him that he once sold the combings of Molly when they lived in Hollis Street. And this indicates how really hard up they were at one time. He remembers Boylan's letter, the bold hand and the way it was addressed, and then he wonders if he addressed Martha, his letter to Martha properly, of course which he did. He sees Gertie in the distance, and he knows that she knows what went on between them. And then he thinks of Mrs. Purify, how he has to call on her. And then he thinks of young, pretty girls like the ones you've just seen, and what happens to them later when they get married. They have to deal with alcoholic husbands. They have to have a child every year like Mrs. Purfoy. So things are not good for them. But then he's satisfied and thinks, this doesn't apply to Molly. So she's the exception. And the breeze just brought the scent over to bloom which gertie had waved in the air Heath wonders if he has a smell and he puts his nose in under his armpit and he smells the soap which he has been carrying around all day and then of course this reminds him that he hasn't collected the lotion for molly and hasn't paid for it he sees the light on the bailey lighthouse and hoth, and he recalls again being with Molly on Hoth and he says to himself a echo of Stephen's parable that Boylan gets the plums while he gets the plumstones
2: I'm a fool perhaps he gets the plums and I the plumstones
0: a bat flies over and then the post is delivered and also Master Dignam whose father had been buried this morning, we take it, comes out, to get the paper, because he had anticipated that his name would be in the paper. Bloom muses on various things like the Rowan Barney Kiernan's, on Widowhood, on Breen and his postcard, will he get keys ad, and if he does, will he buy petticoats for her. He picks up a stick, then, and something I don't understand. He writes, I am A, in capital letters. And then he falls asleep and you hear the cuckoo clock in the priest's house,
3: striking nine o'clock. That's it. There's a whole episode that's not in the book. Well, we know Bloom went to the Dignam Household, they live in Sandymount, to help the family with the insurance, and that takes some time, and that is not recorded. We also, for the first time, have a traditional opening, the way Ulysses did not begin, the summer evening was just beginning to
1: fall. The summer evening had begun to fold the world in its mysterious embrace. Far away in the west, the sun was setting, and the last glow of all too fleeting day lingered lovingly on sea and strand.
3: The mood of this chapter is quite different from the previous one male conflict to female and attempted harmony, never mind. But both chapters have a twofold structure. In Cyclops we have alternation between the ordinary story and these interpolations. In this chapter we have a first part that is given over to Gertie McDowell, female you might call it, and the second part that is given to Bloom. The style is quite different, and you would know immediately in which part you are if you opened the book at random. The second part is basically a return to Bloom's interior monologue. The first part we have a style that reflects fashion magazines. It's a very cosmetic kind of chapter what you do make up to. Make yourself more attractive and all of that, and the kind of entertainment, novels, and, and short stories written for a female audience.
1: And yet, and yet, that strained look on her face. A gnawing sorrow is there all the time. Her very soul is in her eyes, and she would give worse to be in the privacy of her own familiar chamber, where, giving way to tears, she could have a good cry and relieve her pent up feelings, though not too much. Because she knew how to cry nicely before the mirror, you are lovely, Gertie had said, I
3: always thought it were well uh, significant, even that it is now the beginning of its twilight. The end is in darkness, we begin in light. It's a very visual uh, episode. There's a lot of sight and colour in the first part in particular. we see Joyce actually referred to painting as the corresponding uh, art that he has and it's full of smells too at the same time it's also a chapter of voyeurism Bloom's desire frustrated all along the, in the morning finally is fulfilled. He does see what must have been a fairly rare view at that time, a girl's underwear. I don't think that was something very common and he makes the most of it. In fact he responds to it by as we can gather, masturbating.
1: And she let him and she saw that he saw and then it went so high, it went out of sight a moment and she was trembling in every limb from being bent so far back. He had a full view high up above her knee, no one ever not even on the swing or wading and she wasn't ashamed and he wasn't either to look in that immodest way like that because he couldn't resist the sight of the wondrous revealment half-offered like those skirt dancers behaving so immodest before gentlemen looking and he kept on looking, looking
3: and this is actually the chapter which brought the serial publication in an American magazine The Little Review to court there were protests and uh, the editors were fined and uh, made it impossible for Ulysses to be published either in the United States or in Great Britain. So, then it came out in uh, Paris, after all, in France. And it must have been a fairly shocking thing, because you don't find many references to masturbation in decent Victorian novels.
1: She would fain have cried to him chokingly, held out her snowy, slender arms to him to come, to feel his lips laid on her white brow, the cry of a young girl's love, a little strangled cry wrung from her, that cry that has rung through the ages... And then a rocket sprang, and bang, shot blind, and oh, then the Roman candle burst, and it was like a sigh of oh, and everyone cried, oh, oh, in raptures, and it gushed out of it a stream of rain-gold hair threads, and they shed, and ah, they were all greeny-dewy stars falling with gold, and oh, so lovely, oh, so soft.
0: what Joyce said about this when he was asked what happened on the beach between yeah. Bloom and Gertie, and he said nothing happened it all happens in Bloom's mind.
3: To my surprise I, I read that too and I can't, quite, uh, no, I can't it, I it can't seems to be note. so much built into I don't quite know. No. I don't quite know. But, I don't see how it mm-hmm. could. But, it's a troubling yes. statement by the author. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and uh, okay. after all, he did write yeah. The okay. author doesn't have to be consistent <laughs> with his book, of course. Those girls, those girls, those lovely seaside girls, all dimples, smiles, and curls, your head it simply whirls. They look all right, complexions pink and white, they've diamond rings and dainty feet. Golden hair from Regent Street, lace and grace and lots of face those pretty little girls. Again, we have something that is a parody, if that's the right word, because Gertie, whom, by the way, we saw in a little vignette at the end of Wandering Rocks, mm responding to actually the fashion of the ladies in the Vice riedel which she cannot see. Mm-hmm. Here she has seen herself. And she is described in a language that is sentimental, that is full of clichés, that imitates fashion magazines and also the kind of reading matter that was current. Uh, They were often wish fulfillment, uh, Mm. kind of substitute satisfaction of very poor who then marry uh, very rich. And he thinks of marriage and he thinks if things had been different, you might now be a lady in a carriage and all of that. Uh, Joyce in a way wastes a lot of words on what you might say a poor girl and it's in a way funny, but it has a very dark background because it has to do with as I gather, and you may know it this much better, the situation of a young woman from the lower middle classes. uh, You had to marry a husband, and these husbands weren't often not much to write home about, Mm. drunk and other things. There were very few jobs going, really, for them, and Soon you were past marrying age, and now you have a defect. So she's in a very, you know, very poor, uh, And pathetic, she comes from an
0: alcoholic household. She
3: comes from an alcoholic household, so there's a, really, it's very dark, so it's not just uh, surface fun and all of that.
1: She had known from the first that her daydream of a marriage has been arranged and the wedding bells ringing for Mrs Reggie Wiley TCD because the one who married the elder brother would be Mrs Wiley. And in The Fashionable Intelligence, Mrs. Gertrude Wiley was wearing a sumptuous confection of grey trimmed with expensive blue fox, was not to be.
3: There's a dark gentleman in the background. At a certain time, you realise who that must Mm. be, and...
0: But it doesn't sound like Bloom at the beginning. I mean, this
3: romantic image
0: doesn't conform to what we think of that. No,
3: uh, it's again another projection, uh, the opposite one to the one in Cyclops. Mm. And here Bloom is projected into the role of the handsome foreigner Mm. who comes. That's also Mm. a stereotype in fiction. But uh, I say we slowly realizing it must be Bloom when they ask Bloom what the time is. And the irony is that Bloom, who is so good at giving factual information, Mm -hmm. now finds out that his watch has stopped.
1: But he thought it must be after eight because the sun was set. His voice had a cultured ring in it, and though he spoke in measured accents, there was a suspicion of a quiver in the mellow tones. Sissy said thanks, and came back with her tongue out and said, Uncle said his waterworks were out of order.
3: And then the whole second part, with some interruptions, is Bloom meditating. He's relatively calm. Mm. The ecstasy has gone. Mm. And we have the longest section of Bloom's interior monologue. And now it is like an old familiar (laughs) style. And it's a great relaxation Mm. in the second half of the chapter. He also enumerates his day, a long day I've had. Mm. And he gives a kind of recapitulation Mm. of the day.
2: Long day I've had. Martha, the bath. Funeral? House of Keys? Museum with those goddesses? Daedalus's song? Then that baller in Barney Kiernan's? Got my own back there, drunken ranters. What I said about his god made him wince. Mistake to hit back? Oh, no, or to go home and laugh at themselves. Always want to be swilling in company." afraid to be alone like a child of two
0: well to come on to your part of these things the Homeric correspondence yeah
3: well Jules called it Nausicaa Nausicaa use naked shipwrecked swam to a place where the Phaeacians lived a kind of fairy tale thing and he is really at zero point with nothing not even clothes and uh, he has to go home Paris Athene, who masterminds everything, sends a dream to the princess, Nausicaa, that she should do her washing. And she tells her father and they're going to wash on the shore, on the beach. And when they've done and and dried their clothes, they play ball and they miss and they scream. And this wakes Odysseus up who crawls out of the bushes and he needs human help Mm -hmm. to get home and there's a bunch of young girls and he's naked and Homer has a beautiful scene how he comes out and Homer makes a point that he breaks off a little branch to cover his shame as it's called and he walks towards his girls wondering what he should do should he clasp her knees or should he say words anyway he's so good at flattering this young princess that she's won over and he's bathed and closed and sent to the palace and there he tells all his adventures then finally he's sent home so there's Nausicaa the princess. She is also uh, beautiful, white arms. Gertie's aware of her clothes. And then, of course, there's the episode with the ball. That is about all one needs to know. It is in this part in the Odyssey that, in four books, that's only a small part of the whole epic, Odysseus tells his adventures up to that point. This is what we remember best. The equivalent here is Bloom recapitulating his day so far. This only takes about half a page, but it's one kind of uh, equivalent. And the other thing is, at the end, Odysseus is sent home in a ship. They had magic ships, and again he falls asleep, and Bloom also falls asleep. (laughs) That's about all that is potentially useful. By the way, this paragraph where Bloom falls asleep... There is a jumble of words, all of which have occurred before. And I think it's the equivalent of certain images going through our heads before we fall asleep. That, to me, by the way, is the closest Joyce comes to describing dreams. This is to me much more of a dream than Finnegan's Wake, which is supposed (laughs) to be a dream. It's certainly not like like anything I dream, but uh, Joyce was always interested in these Mm. twilight stages. Mm.
2: Oh, sweetie, all your little girl white up. I saw dirty brace girdle made me do love sticky. We two naughty, grace, darling. She him half past the bed met him pike hoses frillies for Raoul to perfume your wife black hair heave under embon señorita, young eyes, mulvy, plump boobs. Me bred Van Winkle. Red slippers, she rusty sleep wander, years dreams return, tail end again death swoony lovey showed me her next year in drawers return next in her next her next
3: It is a chapter of visuals, right? Uh, but you can see less and less because it's mm-hmm. getting dark yeah. and it's perhaps important that from now on and we're not quite half through the book by way of volume. The rest of it is in darkness and very soon, Bloom's Day, so much written about, moves into Bloom's night and we move into the next day. Those girls, those girls, those lovely seaside girls, all dimples, smiles and curls, each headed simply words. they look a sight. Complexions green and white Their hats fly off and at your feet Falls golden hair from Regent Street Rouge and puff slip down the cuffs Of pretty little seaside girls